Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Hey, we now know another reason why January 6th in Washington, D.C. was such a uh, shocking display of something. In order to hold back heavy riot control weapons. That order left Capitol Police at a grave disadvantage as frontline officers vastly outnumbered fought to protect Congress from that violent mob. That's according to the Capitol Police Inspector General testifying this week as he urged an overhaul of security at the Capitol. Inspector General Michael Bolton, not the one you're thinking of, not the one I'm thinking of. He told the House Administration Committee that a deputy assistant chief of police instructed officers not to use the weapons, including sting balls. Haven't heard of those before. But I think I like sting balls and 40 millimeter launchers out of concern that they could potentially cause life altering injury and or death if they were misused in any way. Unquote. Police never do that. Bolton did not identify the chief, but he said uh, had officers employed such measures, unquote, sorry, quote, it certainly would have helped us that day to enhance our ability to protect the Capitol. The takeaway from that is let's provide the training to our officers so they're used appropriately, he said, adding training and deficiencies put officers in a position not to succeed, unquote. Seems to be the American position these days. To date, the inspector general has produced two interim reports for Congress. This according to the Washington Post, detailing investigators' preliminary findings, including that the force lacked the necessary security clearances to properly assess warnings that the Capitol might come under attack. He also said the Capitol Police had incomplete records of the personnel and equipment on hand to respond to civil disturbances, and that many of the officers did not know how to use the crowd control weapons at their disposal. He was emphatic Capitol Police would have to undertake sweeping procedural changes to be prepared for future threats to the Capitol in Congress. He also called for a cultural change. More Carmen. No, uh, saying that the force must move away from the traditional posture of a police department and start acting instead like a girls' school. No, like a protection agency focused not on responding to disturbances, but on preventing events like the January 6th thing. And... Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo broke federal ethics rules when he and his wife asked staffers to book restaurant reservations, take care of his dog, go on shopping trips to buy, among other things, a golden nut bowl. I think that's perfectly appropriate as his new nickname, but that's just me. And to perform a wide array of other personal errands that did not pertain to official business. That's according to the State Department's Office of the Inspector General, all denied by Mike Pompeo. Even those golden nuts. Ladies and gentlemen, today's program focuses on what, in my ken, is the major news event, probably of the year. And I know it's been a busy news week, and I've been obsessed with the trial and everything else. But President Biden this week, as you know, announced all American troops will be withdrawn from Afghanistan by September 11th. Of this year. That'll be the focus of most of this broadcast as we look back at America's longest war, finally, maybe, coming to an end. Hello, welcome to the show. 
Yeah. The monkey speaks his mind. Now, three monkeys sat in a coconut tree discussing things as they are said to be. Said one to the other. Now listen, you two. There's a certain rumor that can't be true. That man descended from our noble race. The very idea is a big disgrace. No monkey ever deserted his wife, starved her baby, and ruined her life. Yeah. The monkey speaks his mind. And you never known a mother monk to leave the babies with others to bump or pass them on from one to another till they scarcely knew who was their mother. Yeah. The monkey speaks his mind. And another thing you will never see a monkey build a fence around a coconut tree and let other coconuts go to waste Forbidding all other monkeys to come and taste. Why, if I put a fence around this tree, starvation would force you to steal from me. Yeah, the monkey speaks his mind. Here's another thing a monkey won't do: go out at night and get on a stew. I use a gun. A club or knife to take another monkey's life. Yes, man descended the weightless bum, but brothers, from us he did not come. Yeah, the monkey speaks his mind. Tonight, our final two contestants face off. In the competition to determine who will present a new Afghanistan policy at this fall's Senate Foreign Relations Committee show, only one policy designer can win. Anything less is defeat, and that is not an option. Welcome to Project Afghanway. Hello, designers. Hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. Oh, that's Deputy Assistant Undersecretary Tim to you. <laughs> designers, tonight's challenge is the supreme test of your ability to craft a policy that's elegant in design and to present it in a way that makes it accessible to the mass marketplace. God knows if I could do that, I wouldn't be selling detergent on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Your job, designers, is to select a television talk show to appear on and to craft a 45-second appearance explaining your Afghanistan policy in a way that's appropriate for that show. Now, I'll be dropping in to help and annoy you all along the way. You have 18 hours and the run of our wardrobe department to construct your look. Good luck! Ethan, 33, Harvard Doctorate in International Relations, Minor in Media Studies. I always knew I should watch more TV. 
Now it's too late. I don't even know these shows. I'm gonna have to do some fast work on the net. What? Hello? The no way! The internet can't be down! Not now! Clarissa, 27. Young assistant professor in John Hopkins history. Ghostwriter articles for Joe Biden. I'm gonna prepare a presentation for Bill O'Reilly. That's, that's the ultimate challenge for any foreign policy that's not all out armed conflict. Also, the set's mainly blue. That makes it easy, I think. 14 hours, designers. How we doing? I'm thinking Meet the Press, where mm -hmm. a nuanced military buildup paired with an unannounced pullback to selected bases might be appreciated by that sophisticated Inside the Beltway audience. You sure we want to go Inside Beltway? I'm just asking. I'm, I'm perplexed. Well, as I understand the challenge, it's mm -hmm. matching policy and platform. Or have I just not been getting enough sleep? <laughs> not even Harvey Weinstein is getting enough sleep. <laughs> just a word of advice for Meet the Press. You might want a slightly more relaxed shoulder treatment. Thanks, Tim. Make it work. Hi, Chloetha. Hi, Tim. What do we got? Well, I narrowed down my policy outline from last oh, good. week. Good. You were a little bit big picture for the room, mm -hmm. you know? No more Uzbekistan or Tajikistan? No, strictly AFPAC. See, I think that works. How's your look coming? Well, I pulled this auburn jacket... Little red top, mm. just for some curb appeal. Oh, I know what you're thinking, but can I say a color? Traffic light amber? You think? Red says something to O'Reilly's people, doesn't it? Oh, come on, Tim. I mean, I'm not doing Glenn Beck. Just think about it. And two words to both of you designers. Troop levels. Meanwhile, the judges and I were reviewing last week's results. Howard Cause of the Cause Institute for Fashionable Policy did not like what Ethan was showing him. He's superficial. He's glib. He's, he's putting ruffles and flourishes on a tired old policy. I mean, nuanced. <laughs> Show me the young people who are buying nuance. I think he's got a good eye for details. I mean, dropping detained Taliban over North Korea. <laughs> Nobody else ever showed me that. I'm concerned about Chloe, so... Margaret Sloth, editor of Policy People magazine. I think she thinks going down market wins the day. <laughs> I wish. I, I think she needs to tailor her ideas a little bit more to Senate Foreign Relations. I mean, that's the show that counts. She went to Pakistan last year. I don't know whether that helps her or hurts her. Five hours to go, designers, and here's a special guest, Dr. Henry Kissinger. Each of you has 15 minutes to pick his brain. Good luck! God, I remember watching Henry Kissinger on TV when I was in, like, grade school. There's so much I want to ask him, but I have to concentrate on my policy. Ethan, whatever you present, you don't want it to be critiqued as another Vietnam. Take it from me. <laughs> Henry Kissinger was like somebody my mom talked about. I really wonder if he's got anything to say that's relevant to me. Chloeitha, mm -hmm. Tim is right. Stay away from red. 
Time's up, designers. Now remember, you're the policy. Be the policy. Next stop, makeup. You know, I've thought about it. If I won, would I actually get to be on Meet the Press? But I can't let myself get too excited because, after all, it's still all about the Afghanis. I've got to think I'm going into enemy territory to defend my policy. That's what makes me strong. Unfortunately, it's also what makes me weak, so (laughs) we'll see. Designers, this is it. Ethan, we couldn't get David Gregory to tape a greeting to you, but there's his picture on the big monitor. Your time starts now. This is not a radical shift in Afghanistan policy. It's an evolution. Just as in post-surge Iraq, the troops withdraw to their bases out of the people's daily experience. Big influx of civilian aid workers and reliable metrics so we can measure our progress. Chloetha, Bill O'Reilly has taped your intro. Now, Chloetha, you think we should just cut and run, is that it? What say you? Bill, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. It's our troop buildup in Afghanistan that's destabilizing Pakistan, and that's where our attention should be. A key part of staying strong is knowing we can't do everything everywhere. So we go in where the Pakistani army doesn't dare go. That's strength. The judges are evaluating the presentations. The policy designers are awaiting their decision. And it all happens right here Next time, (laughs) we're not dithering, it's just careful deliberation. And we're waiting for sweeps. Till then, so long from Project Afghanway. Bye-bye. As I'm sure you recall, if you do recall, this whole thing started under the George W. Bush administration as a response to um, the attacks of 9-11. Al-Qaeda was um, being hosted by the Taliban, who at that point ran Afghanistan, having defeated uh, a coalition of warlords. The Taliban, in, in turn, were the successors to, uh, in, in many ways, the Mujahideen, which had been supported, funded by the United States when they were, they, the Mujahideen, tasked to help kick the Russians, the Soviets, out of Afghanistan, which they succeeded in doing. So for the Afghans, the war has gone on for about 40 years, but for the United States, um, as I say, it really started in late 2001 under the administration of uh, George W. Bush. This is 43. Let's cut the crap. Well, I didn't think there was any. Well, pressure getting to you, son. You know know what I'm discovering? Hmm? Pressure is like Jack Daniels without the rocks. No, this isn't about pressure. This is about... It's about getting into the playoffs and not being ready to kick it up a notch. Hey, Seattle's tough. They'll come back next year. They got the jet. I'm not talking about Seattle. I was talking about the United States of America. I was being metaphysical. Look, 43, 
war wouldn't be hell if it was easy. I know it, it, it feels bad when you bomb a Red Cross warehouse. But, but no, no, we bombed it again, you know, after they walked us through their locations. How does that make me look? Sorry, I must have been playing horseshoes. You know, this time of year, my arthritis lets up. Then, then we let the evildoers capture and execute a major anti-Taliban leader, one of the few people who could have coalesced the many tribes in a post-Taliban regime. Look, the guy was known to us. Nah. He was no asset. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, yeah, well, who the hell are we going to have to put that place together? Thought you weren't going to do nation building. Uh, you know, Rumsfeld found me some wiggle room on that. We're building a regime, not a nation, so it's, it's not a read-my-lips type of situation. Uh-huh. Listen, 43, now you're going to come under lots of pressure to lean on Saudi Arabia. Just to remind you, mm-hmm. during the Gulf War... I know they, were, they let women drive. Look, sir, I walked into this situation trusting Rumsfeld, trusting mm-hmm. Dick Cheney, mm-hmm. trusting Colin. Oh, Colin's a good man. I know Colin's a good man, but I keep, you know, I keep thinking if we didn't have a Secretary of State who just finished 20 years of training the military to stay out of almost any fight, maybe we'd have hit the evildoers, you know, a little harder by now. We'd have our boys home before the the homage of Ramada. Ramadan. Ram, Ramadan. What a, you know, like whatever. Look, 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 Rumsfeld told you this in your very first briefing. Yeah. Some days in this world would be good days. Mm-hmm. We'd kill some enemies. Mm-hmm. Some days would be bad days. We'd bomb Red Cross warehouses. Yeah. You've had a few bad days. That should that should cheer you up. Good days got to be coming up. Like 41. I, did, I didn't call you up to roll around in the blue dirt of happiness. I got some tough stuff to deal with. I got roster problems here. Yeah. You know, Tommy Thompson, he was great at Governor's Association meetings. He'd, 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 he'd memorize parts of the Star Report I didn't even know existed. But I'll tell you, like the saying goes, I, I, I don't think he's quite ready for prime rib. You know, he, he, he makes me look like a polished public speaker. Oh, you're doing okay. You're Taliban are laughing at us. I... I I know what this is. This is a June swoon. It's October. Rocktober. But you know what I mean. Our team had a good opening month, and then, you know, depth problems. I saw it with the Rangers. Well, so do now what you did with the Rangers to fix it. I can't. 43. This is no time for the luxury of scruples. If there's a jugular there, you grab hold of it. No, I, I can't because they don't have any good directors of Homeland Security in the Dominican Republic. I get you. Well, enjoy Camp David. Thank Maybe you. the fresh air will make all the briefings sound better. Yeah. Okay, give my love to mom. I will. Listen, at 43 yeah. on the investigation, Yeah. you know, the FBI is going to screw you every time. It's worth putting a couple of CIA people to tail the major FBI investigators. Otherwise, you'll you'll never know what they got. I'll keep that in mind. The company's your friend if you let it. Thanks. Take care. You too. In the early part of this century, the uh, television news organizations, the networks at least, were still in the habit of sending their evening news anchors overseas, dropping in to cover a big story, parachuting in, I believe the uh, phrase had it. They would uh, get on the ground, 
talk to a taxi driver or two, get a feel for the uh, for the scene. Let's see here. Testing one two three. Testing. Guess this thing is recording. This is rather notes for stand-up tonight. Kabul is a complex city, full of hope and, yes, danger. Let's see if that recorded. Damn, why do they have to saddle me with this mini-disc thing? What's the matter with a good old cassette machine? It's good enough for Murrow. Engineers are a weirder breed than stunt cattle. I guess it's recording. After a day of walking around Kabul, unrecognized by anyone, it's possible to... Dan! Dan, is that you? More later. Uh, Brother Rivera. Hey, man. <laughs> Call me Geraldo. How you doing? Well, I didn't know I was uh, so recognizable here. Yeah, well, you're the only guy in town wearing a 48-hours baseball cap. Oh, this... <laughs> You know, you... Yeah, you put it on in the morning, and then you forget what it says. I know. Uh -huh. So, uh, I, I didn't hear you were coming over here. Yes, sir. Just got in. Had to get my hands dirty again, you know? Had to do some good old-fashioned scuff-your-boots-and-muss-your-makeup reporting. Oh, I know how you feel, man. Mm. I, I, I gave up my show. Uh -huh. You know, I took a pay cut like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. My family thinks I'm nuts. <laughs> but I had to be here. I mean... The story of getting this maniac who did that to my city, well, our city, yeah. I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. You know it, man. That's the biggest story I've ever had the opportunity to cover. Sitting at a desk in Fort Lee, New Jersey, while this is going on, it's 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 like... I, it's I, like uh, going to a vegetarian rodeo. Yeah. It's like dancing with your mom at the high school prom. It's like... It's like all that, man. Yeah. So you could just do those off the cuff? Yes, sir. Wow. Some would call it a gift. But looky here, Hoss, this is... It's not an easy place to cover. Oh. Not an easy place to get into, for starters. Mm -hmm. Harder to get into than $2 trousers. Obviously, since Brother Brokaw still hasn't gotten in. He's coming? He's trying. Of course, distance between trying and coming is farther than from Abilene to Wink. Man, I better hurry. Well, I don't think I'd worry about Thomas beating you to the story. One reason he hadn't made it in yet, the way I hear it, is his, he's insisting they book him into a Four Seasons or a Ritz Carlton and... You know, the nearest one is in his... Oh, listen, man, I, I'm not worried about him beating me to a story. Mm. I, I I just want to get a crack at Ashley Banfield before he bigfoots me. You seen her with that, like, that half burka on her head? Man, she is hot. Yes, sir. Whoa. But, you know, this is my second tour of duty around these parts. Matter of total fact, when I got my safari jacket out of storage, it still had Mujahideen trail dust on it. Well, I, I'd sue your dry cleaner. Brother Rivera. And, and you know, I, I was trained as a lawyer, so I could take the case. Mm -hmm. If my plans here don't work out, I, I, I might have to. You know, the Afghans are, are proud people. They're stubborn as a deaf mule and then fierce as a mom prairie dog protecting her pups. Yeah. They don't like strangers. They'll tell you one thing to your face, they'll tell you the opposite thing the minute that you're gone. My old sources are all dead or in exile anyway, but... Mm. Tell you a plain old judge straight. Yeah. Best way to find out what's going on in this country is listen to your crew. Oh, come on, man. That's... Now, let me nail this down storm window tight. These folks are on serious payroll. Uh, They're local. Yeah. They're smart enough to know how to operate equipment. They talk to people, and they remember what they hear. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you. 
the logistics of doing it any other way is going to totally prevent you from spending any serious time doing your stand-ups or or even cutting promos. Yeah, well, you've got nothing to prove, Dan. Because you know something, man? You're an idol of mine. I don't know if you remember this, but when I started out, I was doing journalism, man, on the tube. Mm. Then, you know... The money got silly, the syndication thing, which, you know, a lot of people said trash TV. Sure. But we were the first daytime show to book American Nazis. Mm -hmm. Even so, you know, if I if I had it to do all over again, I don't know. Listen, listen my friend. Yeah. My son-in-law was a huge fan of that show. He, you know, he used to have tape of you in that, in that <laughs> fight. Nah. He'd watch it over and over. He, did, he just loved it. He said it was pure television. Okay, I, I hear you. Well, being the telecast of record for the OJ trial really helped. But, mm -hmm. man, this, this is... This is really my last chance to make sure that it says Geraldo Rivera, journalist, on my tombstone. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm out there every day. I've already talked to more more guys in turbans since I've gotten here than I have in my entire life up to now. But you, hey, hey, you listen here, sir, please. And you, you say I don't have anything to prove. Well, and I appreciate that. that, that that's a four dollar compliment for a three dollar guy. But uh, <laughs> Brother Brokaw is slipping in the ratings. Brother Jennings doesn't want to get his. Uh, Pocket square must by leaving the studio, so this is a 24-carat opportunity to brand this war as a CBS story, you know, for the non-tents of the United States. It doesn't watch cable. Yeah. Now, that doesn't get us close to number one. Now, I swear to you, I'll, I'll start dyeing my hair again. Well, Dan, good to see you. I, I'd buy you a drink, except the only booze in town is at Ashley Penfield's place. But, listen, listen here, Geraldo. Good yeah. luck to you, sir. And don't sell yourself short. By going to Fox, you know, you've already found the one place where your arrival actually helps their journalistic reputation. So That's, that's nice of you to say well, that, man. But I, I've got my eye on the big one. You know, that's what I sold Fox. i I got to make it happen. The big one? Yeah. Daniel, it's me, Geraldo. No, well... I'm going to find and open Bin Laden's cave. Take good care, man. You too, sir. Please. Kabul is a complicated city, full of hopes and, yes, fears. More about America's longest war in a moment, but first, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Dateline Waco, Texas. Baylor and coach Scott Drew refused to accept a vehicle wrapped with the school's national championship logo. After an insensitive remark made by the dealership's general manager, who discussed it during a live TV interview. This would be a Jeep dealer. That's why he gave them a Jeep. The customized Jeep Wrangler was driven in the team's championship parade through downtown Waco this week and was then going to be given to the school for Coach Drew to use for the next year. When talking about the vehicle with a local TV station before the parade started, Ted Teague, general manager of the dealership in Waco, said Drew could use the, enjoy the Jeep and use it to recruit, quote, pull some people out of the hood, unquote. Based on the changed facial expression as the reporter started to ask another question. Teague knew immediately the remark was inappropriate. He apologized. The next day, Baylor Athletic Director Mac Rhodes and Drew sent in a joint statement that they had spoken to Teague about what he said. His remarks do not align with our institutional values or the culture of our athletic programs. We can confirm we are not accepting the Jeep driven in the parade. As a department, we're committed to recruiting a diverse group of student-athletes, coaches, and staff. 
Teague, the dealer, general manager of the dealership, issued a statement of apology in the same day asking for forgiveness and the opportunity to seek redemption. He said he misspoke in using the word hood. He meant trunk. No, he did not. Quote, as the word came out of my mouth, I instantly knew it was the absolute wrong word, Teague said. I knew that I disrespected countless, a countless number of people, a countless number, within our amazing Waco community and beyond. I'm deeply disappointed and saddened by my actions and offer each of you my most sincere apologies. Also in the sports world, two elite gymnastics coaches apologized this week after an independent commission in Belgium concluded that athletes were exposed to abuse within the Flemish Federation. The commission was set up after accusations surfaced last summer. It said the federation known as Gym Fed was aware of athletes' complaints and did not do enough to tackle them. The gymnasts felt their complaints were not heard. The pursuit of performance was prioritized to the detriment of athletes, said Bart McGank, chairman of the commission. Last year, the Flemish body said it had made significant efforts since 2016 to develop a more respectful collaboration between athletes and coaches, but some gymnasts said serious problems remain. We recognize that our approach was perceived as psychologically transgressive. And we realize that some gymnasts were deeply hurt as a result, said two highly successful French coaches. We regret that. The Flemish Federation acknowledged that, quote, mistakes were made. There's your passive voice. Passive voice in gymnastics, ladies and gentlemen. Dayline Washington, throughout his decades in public life, Prince Philip was known for putting his royal foot in his mouth with the occasional off-the-cuff remarks that could be embarrassing, according to the Associated Press. But his faux pas at a White House dinner with President Nixon in 1969 was enough for Prince Philip actually to lose sleep. In a handwritten note to the president, uncovered by archivists at the Nixon Library and Museum, it's both a library and a museum, in Yorba Linda, California, the Duke of Edinburgh wrote to, quote, humbly apologize, unquote, for failing to toast the president's health as dictated by protocol during a stag dinner in his honor. After the brilliance of the other speakers and yourself, I'm afraid my contribution was very lame, Philip wrote to Nixon from Greenland after his solo U.S. trip had concluded. He added, that night I woke up in a cold sweat when I realized I'd forgotten to propose your health. Too late now. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. A copyrighted feature of this broadcast. The longest war in American history is noted for many things. Its length, its warness, but also it ushered in a new era in American techniques of interrogation. You gotta remember, we were really afraid. We'd ignored the warnings, and then we got played. There was panic in the White House, panic at state, panic at the Pentagon, people working really late. They were patriots. They cared and they fought. What the contractors sold, 
they bought. So we rendered some Arabs with the help of the blokes. And like it or not, we, we tortured some folks. Now we didn't think it was torture per se. That's what the White House counsel said back in the day. Enhanced interrogation is how it was known. So we slapped and waterboarded and froze to the bone. Sure, it violated our values and laws, but we were more scared than when we first saw Jaws. Some very good men did some very bad things, but who among us knows why the caged bird sings? So we tormented some Muslims, then went out for some smokes. It hurts to say it, but we, we tortured, tortured some folks. Now we could look backwards. We could game the blame. We could point fingers. We could wallow in shame. We could punish the guilty for each little flaw, as we're supposed to do under international law. We could say we're sorry, which we never do, because we're exceptional, and so are you. So let's leave it at this. Let's leave it unseen. Let's look to the future and wipe the slate clean. You don't want to pursue this. Neither do I. It would be like busting me now because I used to get high. So let's pretend we don't hear the screams and the croaks and just tell our grandkids we, we torture, torture some folks. No jokes. There was a, a series of telephone conversations about halfway through the history of this conflict uh, that became public, that involved a celebrity, Mr. Mel Gibson, and his uh, then partner, Oksana. And um, most of them that I remember from back then were fairly personal, nasty conversations, at least on one end of the line. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure everybody remembers the more serious policy debates that the two had. You freaking think power insurgency makes one freaking shred of sense? I think General Petraeus has a chance of making it work. What? What? General Petraeus wrote the book on counterinsurgency tactics. He wrote a manual on counterinsurgency. Oh, the only old counter you should be talking about is the one you're working behind when you're not giving me freaking lip service! My point is simply we should give his strategy a chance. 
The whole contingent of troops for the surge isn't even there yet. You wouldn't know counterinsurgency strategy if I get kipping and screaming out of your freaking pancreas. That's not Have true. Have you ever heard of the freaking special forces? Yes. Staff Sergeant Perry Sadler, Ballard of the Green Berets. Does that ring a stupid freaking bell? You're talking nonsense. I'm trying to talk strategy. Oh, I'll talk strategy. Oh. You want to talk strategy? Here's some strategy, Missy. We drop 2,000 Delta Force mothers over there and we walk away. Finito! Basta! That's all she freaking wrote! Do you understand me? What I understand is that we either do this now or we do it 30 years from now. You know what you, you, know what you sound like? What? You want to know what you sound like? What? You sound like Walt Whitman freaking Rosto, you whore! That's you it. sound like Henry freaking Kissinger, you cow! We have no freaking national interest in being in freaking Afghanistan! Do you understand me? I understand you. I disagree with you. You don't disagree with me! You're too stupid to disagree with me! You think you disagree with me! So you're saying let the warlords just take over again? They've taken over. They took over. What do you read? Just the freaking ads and freaking foreign affairs? I read the articles. You don't read the articles! You don't even look at the pictures! There are no pictures. Don't change your subject. There's no freaking excuse for not having a policy of counterterrorism, except that you and your friends think it's fun to spend my money building a freaking nation out of a freaking mountain range full of freaking opium weavers and corporate smokers! You're losing the thread of the argument. You said you thought we were in danger of inflation, which is absolutely untrue. Because you're saying it! No. Have you seen my Nexus Lexus bill? You think it hasn't gone up in the past two years since I've had to be informed enough to have a freaking conversation with you? You owe me! Do you want to get back to the subject of counterinsurgency? And I disagree. Fine! Don't you dare hang up. Now news of our friend the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. We, um have discussed on this program, we being you listening silently, and me talking about uh, the plans of TEPCO, the uh, electric nuclear electric utility in Japan, the plans to take all that um, irradiated water that was passing through uh, the Fuk nuclear plant, uh, which TEPCO was storing in big tanks, you're welcome, and now running out of tanks, is planning to dump into the ocean. As I say, we've, uh, this has been a frequent subject of discussion on this program. It made the big news this week in all the real news media. But here's the part they missed. Japan's Reconstruction Agency says it's changing the design of a mascot character 
It was created to created to reassure people about radioactive tritium in the water to be released from the Fuch plant. The decision comes after criticism over the character, which was featured in a video and information sheet on the agency's website. That's according to NHK, the National Broadcaster of Japan. The agency said it created the mascot to share information about the safety of treated water in an easy-to-understand way based on science. Criticism soon appeared on the Internet. The agency received about 30 comments. One said Tritium should not be disguised as a cute character. I am Mr. Tritium. The video and information sheet have been withdrawn. The agency says the mascot's design will be reviewed. Guess it will be uncuted. Riken Komatsu, a writer involved in reconstruction activities in uh, one of the cities in Japan, tweeted, If the government thinks it can get the general public to understand just by creating a cute character, it is making a mockery of risk communication, unquote. He told Kyoto News that local fishermen are doing all they can to fight against the release of the water containing tritium. Many Fuk residents are trying their best to suppress their anger. Quote, The gap between the gravity of the problem we face and the levity of the character is huge. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm Mr. Tritium. Goodbye now. Now from a nearby neighborhood, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Dr. Noria Sugaya, an infectious disease expert at KU Hospital in Yokohama, told the Associated Press this week, quote, It is best not to hold the Olympics, given the considerable risks, unquote. Japan's vaccine rollout has been almost non-existent. Few will get shots before the Olympics open. And Tokyo has raised its alert level with another wave predicted about the time of the opening ceremony. That's convenient. That is called timing. About 9,500 deaths in Japan have been attributed to COVID-19, good by global measures, but poor by Asian standards. The risks are high in Japan. Japan is dangerous, not a safe place at all, Sugaya said. The heavily sponsored torch relay, 10,000 runners crisscrossing Japan, is presenting hazards. Legs scheduled for Osaka this week were pulled from the streets. Legs were pulled because of surging COVID cases and relocated into a city park with no fans allowed. I think the government knows full well the Japanese public doesn't want the Olympics as of now. Dr. Aki Tonami, teaching political science at the University of Tsukuba, wrote in an email, but no one wants to be the one to pull the plug. Well, one reason might, might be the uh, inertia caused by the clout of Japanese advertising giant Dentsu which lined up a record of $3.5 billion in local sponsorship, three times more than any previous Olympics. Despite being billed as the Recovery Olympics, the northeastern area of Japan, the Fuk area, is still hurting a decade later. Many blame the Olympics for the slow recovery and siphoning off of resources. Dr. Lisa Keel studies sports governance director of the Global Institute for Responsible Sport Organizations at the University of Minnesota, said corruption has become institutionalized in many sports governing bodies, 
particularly those operating across national borders. Quote, it's so easy to make money off the system, she said in an interview with the AP. Nobody's going to rock the boat because everybody is benefiting from it. Professional sports organizations within a country have to abide by the rules of that country. Internationally, there's no body to hold organizations like the IOC accountable. The IOC chairman, John Coates, says public opinion in Japan will improve in the 100 days remaining. Speaking to coincide with the 100 days, Mark said he was, quote, very confident, quote, unquote, the mood in the host country would swing in favor of organizers. A poll conducted by Japanese news agency Kyoto News, 39.2% of respondents want the games to be canceled. That comes a day after tougher COVID-19 measures were imposed in Tokyo, Kyoto, and Okinawa to halt potential rise in cases. We have to publicize the countermeasures that are progressively being taken to ensure the safety of the Japanese public, said Coates. They have to understand the emphasis that we've placed on this, as well as the emphasis on the safety of the athletes. Once those stories start to get out to the public, I'm very confident that public opinion will turn. Unquote. Organizers this week unveiled two-meter-high Olympic rings in front of the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building. That should prove it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Well, this week's announcement that the uh, America's Longest War uh, is coming to a hard landing is not really the first time we've been led to believe that this thing was over. There have been premature indications of it before, during at least one presidency. The Army says it's all got to go. The Afghans say it can't leave. And I say, saving bucks starts here. Hi, I'm B-Rock, with the greatest money-saving deal since the Indians sold Manhattan. Ever wanted to own a partially armored Humvee of your very own? And ever wondered how you could do it without paying Pentagon prices? The answer is as close as B-Rock's Afghan Closeout Blowout. And not just vehicles. This event is putting on sale for the first time and for the last time until the next time. The biggest sale of military and outdoor gear since Custer said uncle. How about your own war room? Thousands of square feet for you to strategize your next big move. Or just to watch the big game in hyper-secure comfort. The price. Too low to mention on the air. Too low to mention even on encrypted phone line. But time's running short, and we've got to move an entire war's worth of gear. Our loss is your game. Although, since we're you, it's your loss, too. It's all here waiting for you. State-of-the-art communications equipment, barracks, great cooking supplies, enough uniforms to supply an invading force of your own, anti-insurgent spray, Afghan English e-dictionaries. All you do is charge it, and then you pick it up and pocket the savings. Not with the U.S. government transported this stuff back home. It might cost double or triple what you'll pay at B-Rock's Afghan Closeout Blowout. And your credit? We've already got your credit report on our health insurance computer. So you're ready to rock and roll. The B-Rock way. But don't take my word for it. Listen to this general who works for me. Whether you're looking for camo or ammo, fixed wing or rotor, the only thing better than our guarantee would be a certificate of victory. Heck, I'd love to buy some of this gear for myself. But the Afghans won't let me. 
They're crazy. And you don't have to go to some showroom or warehouse. It's all online at brock.gov. Every night scope, every canteen, every up-armored bribe bag. The ones Army scientists developed for paying off warlords. It's like a strong box in a sack. And they're not just at rock-bottom prices. They're at B-rock-bottom prices. But these savings won't last forever. Eventually, the sun's going to die. So log on, click through, and agree to the terms of use without reading them. B-Rock's Afghan Closeout Blowout. The best way to wind down a weekend and a war.
More than a decade after pleading guilty in 1988 to sexually abusing a young boy in Louisville, Kentucky, Deacon James Griffith was moved by his religious order to a monastery next to a school nearby. The Passionists, the Catholic religious order that at the time was overseeing the church and school just north of the Kennedy Expressway in Chicago, say he was assigned there in 2002, quote, to work in the provincial office on the third floor. But they didn't initially tell Immaculate Conception parishioners about his child sex crime conviction or a lawsuit accusing him of molesting another Louisville boy in the 70s. Most painful place to be molested. Griffith's past came out in 2003, the year after he was moved, next to Immaculate Conception, when upset parents and other church members packed a meeting with a top priest there. The deacon was soon sent packing. Many Catholic and uh, dioceses and religious orders now post lists on their websites naming abusive clergy and detaining, detailing their past assignments, but the Passionists don't. That's despite Cardinal Blaise Kupik having called upon orders that operate within the geographic territory he oversees, mainly Cook County in Chicago, to do so. Griffith lived in a monastery from 2002 to 2003, was also stationed in Chicago from 1987, the year he was arrested until 1988. Despite his criminal conviction and despite having lived and worked in Chicago, Griffith isn't included on the Archdiocese of Chicago's own list of abusive clerics. That's because Kupik doesn't include order clergy on his list. Other dioceses do so. His list includes diocesan clergy, those who directly reported to him or his predecessors. It does not include priests and other clerics from the largely autonomous religious orders that operate in the boundaries of the Chicago Archdiocese. Not that the church doesn't have that information on that clergy. The uh, bishop has been collecting detailed information on abusive order clerics who've worked in the local area as the Pope's representative. Griffith now lives in Michigan. He's 78 years old. He's within the boundaries of the Archdiocese of Detroit, which posts a list of diocesan and order clerics who've lived or worked in that jurisdiction. He wasn't on that list either until a Chicago Sun-Times reporter asked why that was the case. He subsequently was added earlier this month. Nor was his name on the list maintained by the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, where he lived from 1971 to 73, and from 1988 to 2000, while helping to run a charity that had young volunteers. Representatives from those church agencies that didn't have him on the list didn't respond to questions, couldn't be reached, or said they couldn't explain his absence from their lists. And it's not just clergy. It's not just the godly. Facing mounting, facing mounting criticism from lawmakers, acting Boston Mayor Kim Janey vowed this week to release records from a 1995 Boston police internal investigation, documents that could shed light on why the department allowed an accused child rapist to remain on the force for two decades prior to his arrest last year for the alleged rape of six children. This follows a Boston Globe investigation that revealed the department determined in 1995 that Patrick M. Rose Sr., the one-time president of the city's powerful patrolman's union, had more than likely molested a 12-year-old child. The department had repeatedly refused to release the case files or discuss why Rose, who's now charged with sexually abusing five additional children, continued as a patrolman and had access 
the children. What do we tell the children? Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude our look back at 20 years of America's longest war and everything else on this week's edition of the show. Back next week with more but different, same time on the radio, your time on the audio device of your choice. You are the you in public radio. And it would be just like that was true. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh, tip of the show, chapeau. To the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, Thomas Walsh, at WWNO New Orleans, for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, music playlist for this week's show, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. They won't last forever. Well, I mean, the shirts will, but the offer won't. Or maybe I have that backwards. Anyway, that's all at harryshearer.com, and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.